If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them once again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians uh, chapter 6, General Electric Power Company, go eat popcorn, um, however you have to find it. You should know it. It should be marked in your Bible by now. We've been living in this, but we have finally come to the final piece of armor. Um, not only is it the final piece, but it's also, I believe, the most powerful piece. Um, it's because it's a weapon that is both defensive and offensive. Um, and it is in our arsenal of weapons, supernatural weapons that God has given us. And I personally believe uh, this is a supernatural weapon that the church needs to be using. I said to the team tonight in prayer, we spent a time where um, I only allowed them to uh, pray the word of God. Because I believe that the word of God is powerful, it's active, it doesn't return void. And, and I believe it does something in the spirit realm we're going to learn about tonight that will, I'm hoping, will change and transform your prayer life. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, but would you just pray with me first. Father God, I just thank you and I praise you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful and it is active. And it doesn't return void. And I declare and decree that in this house tonight, Lord, your word is going to go forth and prosper in hearts and minds. I, I thank you that you're softening hearts even now by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you're preparing them to, for the sowing of your word, the seed of your word. And I declare it's going to produce a harvest tonight that's not 30, it's not 60, but it's a hundredfold harvest. Father, I pray that you'd speak. We are here listening. We want to hear from you. We want your word to change and transform us. I pray that you'd illuminate your word, that you would bring understanding to your word. And Father, that you'd have mercy on me and that you'd help me to clearly and effectively minister it in this house tonight. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for that wonderful time of worship. We pray that you'd be pleased, Lord, with that worship. And, and, and Father, that you would just fall afresh on this place through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, we're going to look again at verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of God. That's the verse we're going to look at tonight. I, I want to talk to you briefly about the definition of sword here. Uh, that word sword, straight out of my Greek dictionary, means a large knife. It's useful for killing animals and cutting up flesh. I love that. I underlined that in my definition. It's useful for cutting up flesh because I got some flesh. I don't know about you, but I got some flesh that needs cut away in my life. It's a small sword as distinguished from a large sword. It's a dagger. It's a two-edged sword. And then right out of my Greek dictionary, it says, the sword of the spirit probing the conscience, subduing the impulses to sin. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think we need somebody, uh, something to subdue our impulses to sin. Don, I, I gave Don some pictures uh, tonight of the, the sword of the spirit. Here you can see the Roman soldier. Uh, the one he has his hand on is not the sword of the spirit. It's that little dagger off to the side there. That is what is referred to as the sword of the spirit. Most people think it's this big one. It's not. It's the, the small one that's attached to the belt of truth. 
Uh, Don, do you have the next screen? That actually is the big sword that's on his belt. The, the sword of the Spirit is much smaller than that. It's just a dagger. Um, and we'll just stop there right now, Don. Um, but, but it comes from, the root word that it comes from means, and get this because we're going to revisit it later, it means to fight or combat. It means those in a battle. It, it means persons in dispute, strife, contention, a quarrel. That's going to be important to what's coming. Just remember that that's the root that this word sword comes from. It was a deadly weapon. The sword uh, that, that's referred to here was only about 18 or 19 inches long, and it was more of a dagger than a sword. It, it was used for in-your-face, up-close-and-personal combat. I, I don't know what your life looks like, but I can tell you about mine. I, I just wonder if anybody here tonight has ever been up close and personal with the enemy of your soul, if he's ever been in your face with attack. That's when the sword of the Spirit is the most effective. It was a two-edged sword, uh, so both sides of its blade were razor sharp. It was very, it had a point to it that would pierce and was extremely sharp, needle sharp. And it would do damage going in, going up, coming down, and going side to side. And uh, before a Roman soldier would, would withdraw his sword from his enemy's uh, trunk or body, he would twist the sword so that the intestines and all the innards of his body would be damaged and spill out after he withdrew the sword. It was a deadly, deadly weapon. And for some of you, you might say, well, that's way too graphic for me. I don't want to hear about, uh, you know, uh, murdering and, and using a weapon in that way. But I want you to remember that this is the weapon that Paul was talking about uh, for the sword of the Spirit. And he's telling it, he, he's saying to us, this is the weapon that we need to defeat our enemy. Uh, it's important that you understand in the Word of God the connection between the sword and our words. Paul says this is the sword of the Spirit. And before we can understand that, we need to understand that connection between the, our words and, and, and the sword. Long before Paul called the Word of God the sword of the Spirit, other biblical writers made a connection between words and swords. When you came in tonight, you should have gotten a handout. If, if time permits, we'll go over that at the end of the meeting. But I, I went through the scriptures and I pulled out as many references to words and, uh, being swords as I could possibly uh, come up with. But just a few, the first couple I want to look at together. Psalm 54, verse 4. It says, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, hours, oh my goodness, and their tongue a sharp sword. Here he's saying in scripture that our tongue can be a sharp sword. Psalm 59, 7, the next one on your verse, see what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords. Our words are swords again, we see. Psalm 64, 3, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words. Again, our tongue like a sword. Proverbs 12, 18, Petra read this the, tonight in, in prayer time. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Our words can be swords. And then the one I pray just about every week, Isaiah 49, 2. He has made my mouth like a sharpened sword. I pray it constantly, that, that my mouth would be like a sharpened sword, that when the word of God goes out of my mouth, it would pierce hearts and minds. So we see over and over in Scripture the references to our words. I could have given you many, many, many more references to our words being swords. Long before Paul said that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, we see references references to our mouth being a sword. Keep that in mind. Hebrews 4.12 says, a passage that you're all familiar with, for the word of God is living. It's powerful. It's active. It's energizing. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember, 
The, the, the sword of the Spirit is a two-edged sword. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that Word never returns void. It's active. It, also, it always produces results. Anytime you use the Word of God, it will never return void. It always goes forth and prospers for the very thing that He sent it to do. It's powerful. His Word is powerful. It's active. The Bible says that, that the Word of God is so powerful that in Genesis 1-1, the earth was void and full of chaos. And the Bible says that God spoke. He spoke His Word. And order came into chaos. A whole universe was created because of the Word of God. Words are powerful. Our, our human words are powerful. The Bible says that our words contain the power, our mouth contains the power of life and death. We can speak life or we can speak death because our words are powerful. But God's word is so powerful that something came out of nothing. A universe came out of nothing when God spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was. He, he said, let there be this, and there was. That's how powerful God's word is. And it has not stopped being powerful. It's living. It's active. And when we speak it, it has power. That's why it's so important that we learn to speak God's word. Hebrews 12 says it's powerful. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is uh, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. What have I told you that soul is? Your mind, your will, your emotions. And, and I've, I've talked to you about being a three-part being where we, we have a body, we live in a body, we have a soul, mind, will, emotions, and we are a spirit man. The spirit man is where we commune with God, where we talk to God, where we interact with God. We're, we're to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. Do you, do you know that scripture? And so here we see that the word of God is so sharp that it pierces and it penetrates soul and spirit. It has the, it has the ability to get through my mind, my will, my emotions, and get to my, my spirit man. Can I tell you, some of you are sitting with the word of God, and it means nothing to you, and it's because your soul, your soulish realm is saying, oh, doubt, reason, try to, try to, to reason through that, you know, be, be logical about that, and, and it never gets to that spirit man. But the word of God is so powerful that as you sit with it, It'll pierce that. But what happens is this word, and, and I love this, I, I've only ever thought that the word of God was referred to as two, wor as two different words, and you've heard me say them, logos and rhema. But, but Tony Evans says, no, there's actually three words that's used for the word of God. He uses the word grapha. Grapha is um, when... Hmm, Jesus wrote in the sand when, when he sees the woman caught in, the, in adultery. Remember when he knelt and he wrote in the sand, in the dirt? The word is grapha there. It means that he just wrote. Just words is what it means. So Tony Evans says that this Bible is grapha. It is, it is just words. And some of you, that's all you view the, the Bible as. You put it on your nightstand, it's grapha. It's a book. You go to the store, you buy a Bible, you lug it around like it's a good luck charm. You know, look at me, I got my Bible. <laughs> that's grapha. Uh, but there's another word, logos, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And the word there is logos. It's reference to Jesus. The, the, the living word, this is the written word, the logos, the message. This is the message. And we can read logos, just words on a page, and we can get the message of the gospel. Are you with me? And some of you are content to just stop there. You have the logos. The logos of the Word of God, that's in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active. The Logos is living and active. It works. It'll pierce. It'll, it'll cut. It'll discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It's powerful. But the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the word he uses here is not grapha. It's not Logos. It's what? Rhema. 
The word of God is rhema, the rhema of God. The rhema is the aha moment. It is the utterance of God. When God speaks and you hear him, when, when you're reading the Logos and you're sitting there one morning and suddenly it just jumps off the page at you and it becomes alive to you and it gets deep down in your spirit, it's a rhema revelation. It's an understanding. But you see, that's not just it. It's when it gets inside of you so much that you can't help but apply it to your circumstances. You can't help but apply it to your situation and you begin to utter it yourself. See, some of you have just let it be logos. You read it, it's a good word, but it's logos. But I want to take you to Rhema tonight, where you begin to get that word deep inside of you, and you begin to utter it because that's when it becomes powerful. Uh, it's a double-edged sword, I, I told you that, and, and it does damage going in and coming out, but that word double-edged, you've heard me say this many times, in the Greek, it means two-mouthed sword. In other words, God spoke it once, he spoke it, this word has been spoken to men and they took it down, they spoken to men by God, inspired by God, they took notes and they wrote it down, he spoke it. That's one mouth. But when you get a hold of a rhema word and you begin to utter it out, it becomes, you add your mouth to it. Now it becomes a double-edged sword, a two-mouthed sword. That is a deadly weapon. For some of you, you're using this word and you're reading it and you're thinking, oh, I'm applying that to my situation. And you're thinking it in your head, but you've never put your voice to it. You've never added your mouth to it. And therefore, it's only a one-edged sword. It's still deadly, but not nearly as deadly as a two-edged sword is. If it never comes out of your mouth, it remains a one-edged sword. We need to speak it. We, to make it effective and powerful, we need to speak it out loud. When I was a little girl growing up, believe it or not, in the Methodist church, I, I was blessed. I, I was raised by a woman who, uh, to this day, she is as near and dear to my heart as anybody could ever be because that woman raised me in the fear and admonition of the Lord. She took me under her wing, and she taught me what it meant to study the Word of God. She taught me what it meant to love the word of God even as a little girl and she would do these things called short sword sharpeners at, at Sunday school and she would have prizes because you know candy worked for me and, and and she would say if you have this memorized till, the, till next Sunday you can get your pick from the candy jar well that did it for me and and I didn't know as a little girl what she was doing she was giving me sword sharpeners she was sharpening my sword she was instilling the word of God in me much of the word I have memorized today came from Anime Bickhart instilling the word of God in me so that nobody can take it back from me. I, I might have memorized it. Have you ever been? Leslie and I will go shopping sometimes. And we'll now we were raised in that we were we were doing things in the 80s we should not have been doing. And we know the songs from the 80s. And, and we can just be walking down, and the next thing we know, we're singing this song. We're not even aware of what's going on in the atmosphere, but the song is playing just quietly in the atmosphere. And we still, to this day, can belt those words out and know every song to a wicked song that we learned in the 80s, thinking, how in the world did that ever get in our spirit? But you see, it got in our spirit. And we still know those words. We can still recall those words and be belting them out in the car like it was nothing. But I'm just telling you, the Word of God works the same way. When you get that Word inside of you and you store up that Word richly within you, when you need it, when the atmosphere around you is supercharged, that Word will rise up within you. The Word that you've deposited richly within you. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. It's saying if you believe something, you will speak. I believed, therefore I have spoken. Well, we see this played out in the temptation of Christ. When, when the devil came to Jesus in the desert, in that first temptation, the devil comes and he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus whips out the sword of the spirit and he says, it is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil didn't stop there. He says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels charge of you. And in, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus again 
swings the sword. And he says, again it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Finally, the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus picks up the sword and swings again. And he says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. With, and him only shall you serve. And now the devil was defeated. And the Bible says that he left him for a more opportune time. He didn't leave him for good. Here's what you don't understand, is when you pick up that sword, when the enemy is in your face telling you lies, when he's in your face tempting you to do wrong, when he's in your face enticing you to do something you should, you know you should not be doing, and, and you use that sword to fight him off, <coughs> he may leave, but there will be a more opportune time, a time when you're weak again, when he will come back full force, and you have to be ready for that. But Jesus modeled before us how we defeat the devil. We do it with the sword of the Spirit. It is written, not I feel this. It is written. See, some of you, what you say back is, I feel this. I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel abandoned. I feel whatever. Reject it versus it is written in God's word because there is one truth and it's not your feelings. The truth is the word of God. So remember that the root word I told you for sword was going to be important. Remember we talked about it meant fight or combat. It meant of those in a battle. It meant disputant. It actually, that word disputants is a legal dis dispute. Um, a quarrel. Because that's what we get into, hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy when we need the word of God, when we need to take that sword. But some of you have rolled over and played dead when it comes to fighting with the enemy instead of taking up that sword of the Spirit. Notice that it's the sword of the Spirit. If you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. It's the sword of the Spirit. Remember, we are spirit beings. Therefore, only spirit Weapons will be effective. The enemy is a spirit being. You can't see him. You can see his effects, but he's a spirit being. Your weapons against him have to be spiritual weapons. Now, if you don't believe you're, the battle you're in is spiritual, you're going to try to use human weapons. You're not going to use the sword of the spirit because you actually believe your battle is against a person. <laughs> you actually believe your battle is against an illness. You actually believe that your battle is against a behavior in somebody's life. You actually believe your battle is financial. If you, if you are looking at your battles in the natural, your temptation will be to pick up a natural weapon. You'll fight with your mouth and not using the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit. It's a spiritual weapon. So throughout this study, we have learned that, I hope you've learned this, I, I've, I've pounded it week after week, but throughout this study, we have learned that the battle we're in is a spiritual battle. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and evil forces. So that everything that is happening in the natural was initiated in the spiritual. Do you understand that? Everything. You say, Rhea, not everything. Yes. I'm just going to tell you. Your marital problems were initiated in the, spiritual, in the spiritual realm. Your health issues, some of you don't like I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to hear from you, but I don't care. I'm just going to say it. Your health issues were initiated in the spiritual realm. Your, your prodigal children, initiated in the spiritual realm. Your sexual addiction, initiated in the spiritual realm. Your, your rejection issues, initiated in the spiritual realm. Your battle is never in the natural. It always has a spiritual background. It was always initiated there. It's important that you know what Paul is talking about when he says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. That's the rhema of God. We've talked about that. We've talked about how uh, it is that quickened word, the utterance. Um, if Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That word is rhema there. Faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God, the rhema. When the rhema, when you hear yourself, it's, um, scientists have proven that when we hear ourselves speaking, we believe what we hear. So some of you, here's what you say. I'm an awful person. I'm ugly. I'm not successful. I'll never amount to anything. Nobody loves me. And when you hear yourself reiterating that over and over out loud, <laughs> you start to believe it. Your brain hears your voice and receives it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the rhema of God, the utterance of God. So when I speak the utterance, the rhema, the, the word of God, my brain hears it. And faith begins to rise up within me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the rhema of God. Rhema is not reading words of a page. It's download from heaven. It takes his word, his logos, and he imparts life into it. He says, my words... Let's look at this. Uh, I think it's John 6, 63. He says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words right here that he speaks to us, they are spirit and they are life. When I see somebody dealing with depression or despair or hopelessness, people who are despondent, you know what I know? I know they're not spending time in the word of God. If Leslie calls me and she says she's down, I'll say to her, when's the last time you read the Word of God? How much time do you spend in the Word of God a day? Because my words unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They're life-giving. This is a life-giving word. Words, that, that, that's Jesus speaking. He's saying that words are life. Can I just tell you that words are spirit? He says, my words are spirit and they're life. Every time we speak, hear me, every single time we speak, we release spirit. And we either release life or death. Your mouth holds the power of life and death, scripture says. And so now if my words are spirit, they either bring life or they bring death. Tell that to a little girl who heard nothing but horrible things spoken to her growing up. You can kill the spirit of a child with the words that you speak over them. You can kill the words of a spouse with the words that you speak over them. Because your words are spirit. And your mouth holds the power of life and death. And we have to be careful how we're using our words. When I carelessly speak words, the Bible says that we will have to give account of every careless word we speak, every inoperable word we speak. We have to give account. That's God's word. That we will give account someday for every careless word we've spoken. Think about that the next time you go out and gossip about somebody. Think about that the next time you want to, I'm having a bad day and I was just grouchy. Well, you're going to have to give account for every careless word you spoke. So be careful what's coming out of your mouth. Because he says, my words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they're life. Why you're meditating on what Susie down the street said to you? Because her words could be spirit and death. But you know for a fact that God's word to you is spirit and life. They're a life-giving force. But so many of us speak death over ourselves, over our family, over our finances, over our health, over our well-being without even knowing it. Because Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if you don't believe me, uh, go back and visit and in Genesis 31, 32, the story of Rachel and Jacob. How many of you know the story of Jacob and Rachel? You know he wanted to marry Rachel, the beautiful sister. He got tricked by Laban, their dad. He got Leah. Is that the right story, Dave? Do I have the right story? Um, he got Leah. He had to stay and work even harder. Laban steals from him, takes everything from him, gives him Rachel. He has to stay and work longer. And finally, he gets to a place where he's going to leave. And, and, and now they've been done dirty by Laban. And, and Rachel sneaks in, and she steals her father's idols. And she hides them under her saddle. And, and Jacob doesn't know that Rachel has these idols. 
And so Laban comes out and he tracks down Jacob and Rachel and he says, you've stolen my idols. And Jacob said, we did not. And, and Jacob says, whoever took your idols deserves to die. Not knowing, Scripture says, right after it, not knowing that Rachel had taken the idols. The Bible says that a curse undeserved has nowhere to land. It won't land on you if you don't deserve it. But here's the thing, Rachel took the idols. And so the Bible says, a couple chapters later, they're leaving Jacob, and, or they're leaving Laban, and they're going to Bethlehem, and they're not at Bethlehem yet, and Rachel dies. And Jacob buries her, and the next verse says, and he was filled with deep sorrow. I believe that he understood his words had power, and that he spoke a curse over her, because the chapter before we see him say to everybody that's in his caravan, if you're dealing with idols, you need to get rid of them now. That tells me he knew Rachel had, us, had those idols. And he gave her a chance to get rid of them. She didn't. She kept them. And we see a couple chapters later, she dies. Commentators say maybe a couple months had passed since he said that, maybe up to a year. But no matter what, it was a word curse. Our mouth holds the power of life and death. We need to watch what we're speaking. We need to watch what we're speaking. And so, we can't discount the, the power that our words have. Matthew 12, 37 says, You can be sure of this. When the day of judgment comes, everyone will be held accountable for every careless word he has spoken. Listen to this. This is what I want you to hear. Your very words will be used as evidence and your words will declare you either innocent or guilty. Our careless words will be used as evidence against us. Uh, if it's used as evidence, somebody must be keeping track of it. Do you see that? Evidence declares you, it either proves you guilty or it proves you innocent. And so I'm just telling you, the devil knows this. And he works tirelessly to get us to speak negative, life-draining curse words. Not only over ourselves, but over other people. He knows the power of faithless words. He knows the power of faithful words. That's why he doesn't want you to speak them. He wants, he wants you to speak ineffective and meaningless words. And, and he puts situations in your path to get you angry enough to start speaking those words. Words have power. But here's the reality. God's word has incredible power. The Bible says that God's word is forever settled in heaven. It's forever settled, established in heaven. It means that it has absolute stability, that it's firm, that it's not going to change. That's why we can stand on his promises. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It's not going anywhere. It's established. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's true. So if, if the sword of the Spirit is the word of God and that word is forever settled, why would we not want to speak it? Why would we not want that word to dwell richly within us? The Bible says that, that by the word of the Lord that the, 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 the earth was established. <laughs> Think about that. God's word, everything came into being. The Bible says that the earth and the world is sustained by God's word. So it's, it's created by God's word. It's framed by God's word. It's sustained by God's word. Oh, my goodness. Think about that. So when God's word, because it's spiritual, when it's spoken, when we speak God's word... It's a sword of the Spirit. Lord, help me to explain this clearly. It's the sword of the Spirit. I told you it's a spiritual weapon. And when we speak God's word, because it's spirit and it's life, it has the ability to go into the spirit realm and pierce the spirit realm and do work there. So I'm just telling you, if you have, if you know somebody who's addicted, if you're dealing with an addiction yourself, if you're dealing with marital problems, if you're dealing with financial problems, if you're dealing with health issues, God's word has power. And it has power, it's spirit, and it has power to break through the spirit realm and do, do battle there. 
It'll kill addiction. It'll, it'll repair marriages. It'll, it'll uh, cut through thinking processes that are not healthy. It, it does battle in the spirit realm. The spiritual released into the natural has power. We see that in the word of God. It's interesting in Luke 10, I think it's in Luke 9, the disciples were sent out um, and, and uh, they went into a village of the Samaritans and they were going to prepare, make preparations for Jesus to go to the cross. And, and the Samaritans did not receive Jesus. And so the disciples, they were learning about the power of their words and the authority that they carried with God's word. And, and so when, they, when the Samaritans rejected Jesus, I think it was James and John looked at Jesus and he said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? See, they understood they had power, that their words had power to call fire down from heaven on those Samaritans. And Jesus says to them, listen to Jesus' response. He says, um, he turned to them and rebuked them, saying, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Anytime you want to call fire down from heaven, anytime you want to nail somebody for what they've done to you, Anytime you want to say something, some, some nasty, unkind, hateful word, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. Your words have spirit. They're spirit. But they hold the power of life and death. And you get to choose which one you're going to speak. You do not know what manner of spirit you're in. It's interesting to me, though, not even another whole chapter later, Jesus sends out the 70, two by two, and, and they come back and they're filled with joy. And they're like, Jesus, even the demons obey us. Even the demons obey us. Because they understood the power of their words. Do you know that his word has power in your mouth? Do you understand the power that's at your fingertips with the word of God? Matthew 16 9 says, and I will give you the keys of, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Uh, hear me say that. Some of you know this, but you don't know this translation. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, to rule and reign, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven because God honors his word. And some of you have permitted garbage in your family. You've permitted stuff in your marriage. You've permitted stuff in your own body because you have not taken up the sword of the spirit and wielded it against the spiritual weapons that have been formed against you. And you've permitted and whatever you've permitted on earth will be permitted in heaven because he has given you authority. He's given you authority, and you're too lazy to wield the weapon. Whatever, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Can I tell you, I got, some, I got a list. Ask Dave. I got a list of scriptures that I don't forbid. That I'm saying, uh-uh, that is not touching my family. That is not coming near my house. I am, because whatever I forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Do, do you know that the Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it? See, some of you don't even know these verses. And I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm saying that to challenge you. Whatever, uh, that God watches over his word to perform it. That means he's waiting. That the Bible says that the angels hearken to his word. <laughs> I got angels working for me. And here's how I get them to work. I use his word. Here's what your word says, Lord. I don't care what I see in the natural. You, can, you think I'm crazy. Ask, ask my husband. I don't care what I see in the natural. I don't care. I'm not moved by what I see in the natural. I am moved by the only truth I have right here. What I see in the natural can be tainted by the enemy. It is a lie because he wants to shake me from my place of standing firm. He wants to steal my peace. He wants to steal my joy. He wants to steal my life. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. 
And so whatever he puts at me in the natural, I'm reminded I am not fighting in the natural. This is just whatever I'm seeing in the natural was initiated up there where I'm going to go do battle. And I'm doing it with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the word that never returns void, the word that's active, it's powerful. It's from a God who cannot, not will not, cannot lie. He watches over his word to perform it. God's word is a sword, and when we speak it into the atmosphere, we're wielding that sword, swinging that sword, so to speak. Scripture tells us that that it's a spiritual battle. It's not a natural battle, so we have to use spiritual weapons. It's two-mouthed, so we come into agreement with God's word. The Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. I'm feeling weak. All appearances, I'm weak. But I'm going to say I'm strong. But what's the scripture in, in Mark? It should be on your list. Um, can somebody find that? Because I'm going to misquote it. I, I think I put it on your list. Yes. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Look at that. This is God's word. This is not Rhea wanting to work up a frenzy. This is not Rhea trying to manipulate God's word. This is God's word. But I say to you, whoever says, I have to say it out loud to this mountain. A mountain in the Bible is symbolic of something that's immovable, something that's an obstacle, something that's standing in your way. It's a picture of trials and tribulations and hard things in life. Whoever says to this mountain, be ye removed and be cast into the sea and does not what? Doubt in his heart. Somebody turn over to James. I, I will probably misquote it, but let's just try. That, 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 that the man who doubts, that, that whoever lacks wisdom should ask and it will be given him generously to all without finding fault. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the man who doubts is like a sea, is like a, a boat tossed in the sea. And that man should not believe he'll receive anything for God because he's unstable in all he does. Doubt makes us unstable in all we do. We shouldn't believe we're going to receive anything from God if we doubt. You say, well, Rhea, it's hard for me to have faith. Why is it hard for you to have faith in a God who loves you with an everlasting, unfailing love, with a God who's promised to never forsake you, to never leave you, to never relax his hold on you, for, to, for a God who has promised that he cannot lie, not that he will not lie, for a God who says that he is all-powerful and nothing's impossible for him, which, by the way, nothing is impossible for him. Not in my notes, but let's go to it. Uh, uh, he's God and nothing is impossible for him. That nothing is no thing. It's no rhema. No rhema is impossible for God. That means you get a rhema, you get a promise from God, and you wield that sword, and you say to God, this is a promise from you. No rhema is impossible for God. You say, well, Rhea, you're manipulating God. No, I'm not. He's a promise-keeping God. If I make Davy a promise, I'm going to keep it. And if I don't keep it, I can expect him to come back to me and say, Rhea, you promised me. You promised me. And there would be a breakdown in my relationship with him if I made him promises and didn't keep it. Now, I'm a human. God, God makes us promises, and he cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He is a promise-keeping God, and his promises are yea and amen to those who believe. So if you say... And do not doubt in your heart, but believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. We have to speak it. We have to speak it. Another scripture is coming through my mind. And there's a scripture that says, um, you do not have because you do not ask. See, some of you stop right there. But here's the rest of it. But when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. And so when we ask according to his word, his will, 
That's why the word is so important, is we're not just yielding, wielding any sword. We're not asking for anything we want. I want to, I'd love a sports car <laughs> instead of my little Honda. But I'm asking according to his will. So I can ask that my sons be taught by the Lord. I can ask that my children's peace would be great. I can ask that my children uh, would be mighty in the land. I can ask that, that Jehovah Rapha be my healer. I can ask that no weapon formed against me can prosper. Do, do you see? I'm asking according to his will, his word. And that's why it's the word of God. It's not the word of Rhea. It's not the desires of Rhea. He is for us and not against us. Yes. So Jeremiah 23, 28 and 29 says, And he who has my word, let him speak it faithfully. He who has my word, let him speak it faithfully. We have a spiritual arsenal that we can use. It's at our disposal, and it's the word of God, and we need to pick it up and start using it. It's not doing us any good on the bookshelf. It's not doing us good pulling it up on the app on Sunday morning. He wants us to use it. He, he, he wants to meet every need we have according to his riches in glory, but he is moved by our faith. He's moved by his word. And we must begin to push back the darkness with our swords. We, we, we were never promised that it would be easy. We have to make the effort to pick up that sword and use it. It's dedication to the truth. Steve Swanson, you know some of you did a cruise with us a number of years ago. And Steve came along with us and led worship. And he, I love his worship. And, and he wrote a song. Leslie and I love to sing it when we travel. It's called Changing the Atmosphere. And, and here's, here's the words to that song. So let the high praises of God be on my lips and the two two-edged sword be in my hands. Your words and my words mingled together, they're cutting into the atmosphere. Can I tell you that when you use your mouth and add it to his mouth, his word, it becomes a double-edged sword in your hand. A two-edged sword in your hand. And when you speak that word from your mouth, it cuts into the atmosphere. It goes into the spirit realm, and it does battle on your behalf. And I'm telling you, we have got to stop wasting our, our energy and our time battling here with our human words. And we have to start fighting this battle where it really makes a difference in the spirit realm, with the word of God. The word of God is powerful. It's powerful. And we need to keep it on our lips. It is the most powerful weapon, I believe, that we have at our disposal. And yet so few of us use it. You can ask my team. Often I will say to them, I don't want your fluffy words. I don't want you just praying words. I want to hear the word of God. Tonight I said to them, give me a scripture. And they would give me a scripture and I'd pray that scripture. And I'd say, give me another scripture. And they'd give me that. And, and if I had a team member that couldn't pull scripture up, they would not be on my team anymore. Because I need them to be sharp. I need them to honor the word of God. I need them to use the word of God for this Bible study to wield for you all. And that's why it's so important that, that we understand the weapon that's at our disposal. So I want to just go over it. Uh, what time is it? Oh, we have a little bit of time, so we're going to use it. The, the handout that I gave you, I just want to briefly go over this handout with you. So start at verse at number six because we went over those first five. But let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto your sight. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable, Lord, to you. Are your words acceptable? Because remember, your mouth is a sword. And so you want your words to be acceptable. Psalm 34, 13. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from speaking deceit. We have a choice. We can keep our tongue from speaking evil. We get to decide that. I'm not going to let my tongue speak evil because I understand that my tongue is a sword and it will do damage, that my mouth holds the power of life and death. Psalm 141.3, set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. If what was coming out of my mouth and across my lips wasn't dangerous, 
I wouldn't need to keep a guard over it. Um, I like the Amplified there. I put that in as well. Keep watch over the door of my lips to keep me from speaking thoughtlessly. How? That's why we're told, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because what was the scripture, Leah, you quoted tonight, where there's an abundance of words, sin is not absent? Um, so we have to watch where there's an abundance of words, sin won't be absent. We have to keep a guard over our lips to keep them from speaking thoughtlessly. Sometimes we don't even understand. Jacob, when he said, let the person who has your idols die, he spoke thoughtlessly, carelessly, and, and Rachel reaped the result of that. Do you see it? Proverbs 6.2, you are snared. This is, this is God's word. You are snared with the words of your lips. You are caught by the speech of your mouth. The voice says, your words may well be the trap that snares you. Proverbs 12.14, from the fruit of, the word, uh, of his words, a man shall be satisfied with good. The fruit of my words will make me satisfied with good. Proverbs 13.3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The, the passion says, guard your words and you'll guard your life. But if you don't control your tongue, it'll ruin everything. Proverbs 15, 28, let the, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. I like the passion here as well. Lovers of God think before they speak. Let the careless blurt out wicked words meant to cause harm. Proverbs 16, 24, nothing is more appealing than speaking beautiful, life-giving words. Our words are life-giving. For they release sweetness to our souls and inner healing to our spirits. This is God's word, and he's saying that our words release inner healing into our spirit. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat, eat of its fruit. Voice says words have words of power in matters of life and death, and those who love them will savor their fruit. Uh, there's Matthew 12, 36 that we talked about already. I tell you in the day of judgment, we will have to give an accounting for every careless or useless word they speak. There, there's a the one translation I think says inoperable words. If there's inoperable words, there must be operable words. And the operable words are God's words. And, and they have power. They operate. They go into the spirit realm and operate. Um, there's the evidence. Your words are going to be used as evidence against you. I really want to just revisit that because I didn't, uh, I didn't talk about what was in my notes. But remember when I said legal dispute? The devil doesn't have any power in your life. He, he, he has to have a legal right to get at you because he has been defeated on Calvary. And so he has no power in your life except what you give him a legal right to. And, and, and so he looks for a legal entry. Uh, Rachel, the curse could land on her because she had done something wrong. She had stolen. And so he has to have a legal right. So, so he's looking for evidence against you. Do you see that? Your words will give him evidence. Um, Matthew 15.10 Jesus called the crowd and said, listen, understand this. It is not what goes into the mouth of a man that defiles and dishonors him, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles and dishonors him. Uh, Matthew 15, 18, whatever word comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. This is what dishonors a man. Um, and uh, there's the permit verse that I already used. There's the say to the mountain verse that I already used. Um, Romans 10, 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. People use this, and I believe it's correct. You know, you have to confess uh, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That's confession unto salvation. I believe it's deeper than that. I believe salvation is not just saving us from a burning hell to take us to heaven. I believe salvation is deliverance. It's wholeness. It's well-being. And with our mouth, we confess unto salvation. So many of us are in a mess emotionally because we're confessing garbage we should not be confessing. We, we should be confessing, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I walk in peace. I have abundance. I, 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 you know, everything I touch, he prospers. And I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm a lender and not a borrower. He leads me in triumph in everything I do. And, 
We've got to start coming into agreement with God's word. Ephesians 4.29, I'm going to teach at Grace Church in two weeks. I'm going to teach on this passage. Don't even let one rotten word seep out of your mouths. Instead, offer only fresh words that build others up when they need them the most. That way, your good words will communicate grace to those who hear them. Um, our words have power to tear somebody down or to build them up. James 3, um, where did I put this one here? It's talking about the tongue. Uh, look at that. It's capable of corrupting the whole body. The tongue is capable of corrupting the whole body. James 3.10, so blessing and cursing comes pouring out of the same mouth. My sisters and brothers, this ought not be. 1 Peter 3.10, if you want joy in your life and have happy days, here's the answer. If you want joy in your life and have happy days, keep your tongue from saying bad things and your lips from talking bad about others. Some of you are in a miserable place, and it's because you like to gossip. And you don't keep your lips from talking bad about others. Um, that's God's word right there. I've, I just gave you God's word. None of this is me. This is all God's word. First uh, Peter and the voice, if you love life and want to live a good long time, then be careful what you say. Don't tell lies or spread gossip or talk about improper things. All right. Uh, it's 8.01. I want to let you go, but uh, I... I've been very um, aware that I'm giving you so much information. Somebody said it's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. Um, and I, I want to make sure this is clear to you. Um, and so, first of all, what I want to do is I want to give you an example. So, I wonder if there's somebody tonight that's struggling with something that you could be honest and say, I'm struggling with this, and, and then I could bring you up and we can give you some word to wield. So, She's saying she spends money foolishly, and it's been heavy on her heart when she has other obligations. So now what's some word that she could begin to declare over her life? Somebody? Well, she could say that I'm, Leslie's saying that you can say, I'm a, I'm a head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm a lender and not a borrower. But by your own confession, you're saying that you spend it foolishly. And so my direction would be for self-control. I would, I would declare that, I have, that, that, that God has given me self-control, that I'm, I'm filled with self-control. Um, but you could declare that. But what you're really saying is, bless me even though I'm being unfaithful. Um, I'm, I'm not being wise with my money. And, and so uh, that, you're right, but, I, but I, I would be hesitant there. I would focus more on self-control. Leah, you must have something because you're looking it up. What do you have? And so I would, I, my confession would be, Lord, thank you that it is for freedom that I've been set free. You've already set me free. And that I will not allow the enemy to yoke me again with the yoke of slavery. I will not be a slave to finances in the name of the Lord. And I just thank you that you're freeing me from that in Jesus' name. Very, very good, Leah. Any other ones? Yes. And a sound mind, a spirit of discipline. Yeah. So, so he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but he's giving you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, and so, yeah, and, 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 and I would, again, park on I have self-control, that no temptation has seized me but is what is common to man. And when I'm tempted, not if I am, but when I'm tempted, Lord, when the enemy comes to tempt me with the, with the desire to spend foolishly, you will always give me a way of escape. And I'm asking you, Father, to give me a way of escape. You always give it to me, and I'm going to declare I'm going to take it now in Jesus' name. Yep. And he'll give it generously to all without finding fault. That's my favorite part of that verse is, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he'll give it generously to all without finding fault. So he will never say, how dare you ask me for wisdom when you haven't been faithful, when, when you've been, been using it foolishly by your own confession. No, Lord, you say you'll give me wisdom, and you won't find fault with me. And so I need wisdom. Father, could you give me wisdom in knowing what to buy, what not to buy? Leslie's saying, you know, the, the, the scripture that says that I, I won't conform to the patterns of this world, but I'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And, and so Leslie's saying, you can say, Lord, just keep my mind renewed in what is good and perfect. Perfect. What, what your will is for my life. Yeah, good, 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 good. Dealing with a prodigal, that was an easy one for me. I can just tell you that without even asking because I prayed it for so many years. I, I would pray, you know, Lord, it's your will. You say it's your will that none perish, but that all come 
to salvation through Jesus Christ. That's your will. And then you tell me I can ask anything according to your will. So I'm asking. I'm asking for my son or daughter that they would come into salvation through Jesus, through, through Jesus Christ, that, that you would send the hounds of heaven after them, Lord, that you would pursue them, that they would not be able to run from you, Lord, that you would outrun them with the hounds of heaven. I thank you that my sons will be taught by the Lord, that great will my children's peace be. Your word says that the offspring of the righteous are blessed and they're mighty in the land. I declare and decree that my children children will be blessed and they will be mighty in the land that my daughters are rising up that they're going to be pillars in the temple of God there are a lot of scriptures about about children coming home that that God is calling them home any other scriptures that you can think of for prodigal children coming home taught by the Lord and great will their peace yeah yeah it's a good one I declared it for many years when in the natural you would have thought everything was hopeless. Yeah, do not. The enemy wants you to despair. He wants you to be hopeless. And when he sees you got a hold of a rhema word and it's alive to you and that, that you are holding on to it with everything you have, I am not believing what I see here. I'm believing your word, Lord, and your word says this. That's an easy one for me. I'm telling you, he can do it. And, and he can do it. It's his will that none perish. Uh, and so you're asking according to his will. Yeah, good, 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 good. Any other? I have, I have a list. Uh, I have um, verses from my grandchildren that I, I pray over them almost every morning um, by name that I, put, I substitute their name in the verse and I pray for them. I believe that my grandchildren are, are going to be the next generation, and they're going to take, they're going to, my, my, my words are that they be kingdom advancers and world shakers. I, I believe that my, my ceiling is going to be their floor, and that they're going to make a difference for the kingdom in this world, and I am relentless about praying that, and so that's a great question, Cindy. Cindy's saying that, do we have any suggestions for people hiding um, God's word in their heart? It's in front of me all the time. Um, it's not unusual to get in one of my cars and see scripture there. Sometimes I have a, a verse in my pocket I'm working on, almost always on the front of my phone. Right now on the front of my phone is this, the scripture that they said tonight from Numbers, Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. That's on my scripture, my phone right now because I'm, I'm memorizing it. It's in front of me all the time. Um, I, I will go over scripture and I'll stress different words. That helps me to memorize it. We, on Friday morning, we've been memorizing the, well, where are the Friday morning people? Let's hear it. Tell them what you memorized. And, yeah, let's hear it. So what, what, what Friday morning people? Let's do, the, let's do the old one. Oh, you know the new one already? And so when I'm memorizing that scripture, the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, um, but they're mighty in God for this pulling down a stronghold. And I might just say that, that, that we, we read an article one time that said when you want to memorize something, you commit it to short-term memory by saying seven times over and over. So when I'm first memorizing scripture, I'll repeat it seven times out loud over and over and over. It gets into my short-term memory, and then I start committing it to long-term memory. Um, but it's in front of me constantly. And, and I don't read like most of you read the Bible. I, I don't read a chapter. I read two verses, and I study the daylights out of those two verses so that when I'm done with them, they're, in, they're committed to memory um, even before I move on. And I'm not in any hurry. These read through the Bible in a year things bother me because I'm a performer. I, I'm a perfectionist, and so for me, it's about checking the box and having people think, look, I read through the Bible in a year, and I stopped that a long time ago because that kicked in my performance, and I, I just want to hear from God. And so I met, the word meditate means to chew. It's a cow chewing its cud. And when a cow, I was raised in rural Pennsylvania, when, when our cows would chew cud, they, they had like, I want to say seven stomachs, a lot of stomachs, and they would chew and they would swallow, and then they'd vomit it back up, and they'd chew and they'd swallow, and they'd vomit it back up, and they and they kept doing that till they got all the nutrients out. That's what meditation is. It's taking a word and just meditating on it till we get all the nutrients out of it. And, and so that's how I work with committing... Uh, uh, a verse to memory. Um, I, Masha, she's not here tonight, but Masha commits words to memory by sing, making a song. She sings it in a song, and that really helps her. Um, yeah, good question, though. 
because unless you have it in memory. For a long time, I did uh, these little spiral notebooks. They had no, uh, note cards, and they were spiral. And I would put whatever issue I was struggling with, um, I would put on the front. So let's say anger. And then I would put every verse I could come up with on anger in that spiral. And I would get that out and just keep going through that spiral notebook on anger um, or on anxiety or on peace or on joy. And that was very helpful as well in committing it. But so much of my memory verse was the sword drills when I was sword sharpeners with when I was a little girl. Yeah. Anything else? Any other questions? Are you guys benefiting? Do you feel like this is too much? We're almost through it. I'm going to talk about praying in the spirit next week. And um, that's going to be a good, it's going to be good study. And um, we're almost through this passage, but it's powerful stuff, guys. I, I'm not preaching this because I, I want you spiritually puffed up. I'm preaching you because I'm telling you this works. This is what works in my life. I've seen it work. I practice it. Um, that's why I can preach it with power because I practice this in my life. Yeah, I believe so much, you're going to get me in deep, and, and I, I don't want to regret saying things, but I believe so much of health issues are, are related to soul issues. If we don't mind our mind, if we don't uh, watch our behavior, if we don't, I believe a lot of it, I, I believe, for example, yeah, I really do. I, I, I mean, call me, people call me out on it and say it's ridiculous. And I'm not saying that doctors aren't needed. I'm the first one that can go to, that will go to a doctor. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm saying right now my tailbone has been bad since December. Should have taken 12 weeks to heal. It's taking forever. I am seriously saying to the Lord, where did I open up to the enemy there? Where, who did I say was a pain in my butt? I'm just being honest with you. Um, where did my words get me in trouble here? It's not witchcraft. It is that Satan has a counterfeit for everything God has a real of. God had the real first. Satan has the counterfeit. Absolutely. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God will give it generously. I would ask here, and I would say, Lord, where did I open myself up to this? Yeah, I would just ask God, and he will. And, and I just, I believe that's what he does. I'm asking him. Leslie prays with me every morning. She can tell you. I'm asking, Lord, what did I do? Where did I open myself up? I fell. My tailbone broke. That was in the natural. But I am saying, where, what happened? Um, and so maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just a broken tailbone and old bones. I, but I'm asking the Lord, do I believe that repentance and confession is vital? Absolutely. But a curse undeserved won't find a place to land. It goes back to the sender. That's why you've got to be careful. You're not strewing curses. Because, Leah, you were just talking to me. What were we just talking about with um, uh, confess your sins one to another and you shall be healed? I believe there's healing power in confession. I absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not, uh, hear me say, I don't look for a devil under every bush. You, you need to hear me say that. Um, I'm not a devil hunter. I'm not blaming everything on the devil. The devil made me do that. It is. I'm just not unaware. And I think we need to really keep watch. The Bible says keep watch over yourself. We need to keep watch over our souls. What we're allowing. What we're opening the door to in our life. Yeah. It's late. Father, thank you for every person here. How I love them. Thank you that they're eager to hear and to learn from your word and I pray, Lord, as I pray all the time, that if anything I said that wasn't from you would fall to the ground and die and be swept away, that only your word would remain, but that your word would prosper, Lord, and that it would produce a harvest in people's lives. Teach us, Lord. We want to know more things. We, we don't want just the normal things, Lord. We want the secret things of God. The Bible says riches stored in secret places. Would you teach us that, Lord? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.